given these amazing gloves like a couple years ago. Super, super warm gloves, um, which was very nice to keep your fingers warm. But yeah, I had no idea where my hand was <laughs> um, and how to open things. So I didn't, certainly didn't manage to get much out of my pocket that day. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. My name is Alan McCubbin. And I'm Steph Gaskell. We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to stay, help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask, the sort of things that people are debating out on their training run or ride, in the coffee shop afterwards, or going to Google to search for answers. So we'll take one of those questions, break it down, and invite a guest expert in our A episode, or a guest athlete in our B episode to add their perspective to the question. Today, it's episode 37B. Our question is, how should my nutrition change when it's really cold? And we're joined by our guest professional cyclist, Sarah Gigante. So we'll discuss with Sarah her racing season, uh, what it's like living over in Girona in Spain, uh, and the transition to racing as a professional over in Europe and dealing with a much colder climate than what she's used to here in Australia. And we'll talk also about some of the practicalities of consuming nutrition products, both in training, but then what changes in a race scenario in those very cold environments. So things like when your hands are super cold and they're not working well, or when you're wearing super thick gloves, um, and so your dexterity is compromised a little bit. And talk a little bit about the nutrition options that Sarah prefers in these colder conditions. So how are you going, Steph? We've been away for a couple of weeks, which we'll explain in a moment, but uh, back again, how are things with you? Things are good out. Um, I've had uh, a lot of time right here on this desk uh, writing <laughs> up papers and yep. it's been driving me a little bit crazy but I'm feeling better about it and um, but then also not feeling so good because realising that I agreed to do this crazy five-hour run um, with you. However, yeah, we did it. Uh, we did the VO2 and the one hour familiarization um, protocol just, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? Yeah, yeah, yesterday. Yep. Yeah, so I um, managed that okay. VO2 is not great, but um, managed to, to get through. And actually, I always find out random facts with you, Al. I learned about male rats and their fear of bananas. Yes, <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> you want to fill in the listeners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just flicking through my phone while you were busy running on the treadmill for an hour and um, waiting for the next measurement I had to take. And lo and behold, I came across this article, I think it was on Twitter, talking about how male rats are scared of bananas. So, uh, yeah, I don't think we have time to go into the whole scientific no. explanation that they discovered. But, yes, it turns out there's a compound that's uh, re released by bananas that's very similar to one that's released by uh, female rats in the late stage of pregnancy to ward off other male rats so they don't get in and uh, kill their, their young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Random fact, eh? Oh, Totally. <laughs> 
Um, how are you going? You have some exciting news to share. I do, yes. Uh, the sodium paper that we've talked about for a little while now, um, going right back to an episode we did last year, actually, when we talked about should I get a sweat test, which was episode 10, I think, off the top of my head, 10A. Um, yeah, so the the paper from that, which I had the abstract of at the conference, the SDA conference last year in October, the, the full paper has now been um, accepted and is now available online in the European Journal of Sports Science as of last week. So that looks at sort of mathematically modelling in what scenarios is sodium replacement required during exercise and when it's not required, uh, and therefore also looking at, I guess, the question in, in what situations is sweat testing potentially worthwhile and in which situations is it not going to really add any value. So uh, we've, we've talked about doing a, an episode specifically on that. We were just waiting for that paper to be published. So I mm. think we'll have to crack on and, and record that episode soon, Steph. Yeah. Well, let's go into social media shout-outs now, Steph. What's been happening on Instagram this last two weeks? Yeah, yeah. So we've had a bit um, happening. So... Georgie Howe, who is a teammate of Kate Perry, and whenever I hear the name Kate Perry, for some reason I always go straight to the singer, Um, but she's a cyclist on the Knights LMLY team. Love me, love you. um, Love me, love you. Thank you. Um, And she said, K-Time Bars, they are my MVP, which I needed help from you, Al, to tell me what that lingo meant. Um, they're her MVP of my ride food at the moment. Always look forward to tucking into them. Great episode, guys. So that was around our last topic around nutrition in very cold and well, the current topic really with Becky Hall mm. where she talked about the K-time bars and that a lot of the winter Olympic athletes use them in those cold environments because they don't go solid in the cold temperatures. Yeah, yeah. yep. Um, so that's a good one. And then Alexandra Brownie. Um, said she just listened to episode 36, Pregnancy and Breastfeeding, and she loved it. I have a four-week-old and feel like my life is dedicated to providing her milk and constantly feeding myself. So she found our podcast um, provided some great tips and it was really good to know that she's not alone. Um, So thank you um, for that episode. And um, Twitter Owl, we had Dr. Rachel Harris. Yeah, she's a sports doctor um, over in Perth. She's also the chief medical officer at Paralympics Australia, uh, but she's also the lead for the Female Performance and Health Initiative at the Australian Institute of Sport. So um, we talked about that uh, a little while ago when we had the episode with Claire Minahan talking about nutrition across the menstrual cycle, but also came back and mentioned that Uh, in that episode 36, talking about nutrition during pregnancy and breastfeeding as well, because there's some great resources there. And I shared one of those on Twitter the other week um, that's just recently out. And uh, yeah, Rachel was saying, fab podcast. We shared the podcast episode on sports nutrition during pregnancy and breastfeeding in their last um, AIS Female Performance Health Initiative newsletter. So thank you, Rachel, Mm. for that. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, Appreciate it. Hmm. And as always, Steph, <laughs> you're a person of the people. What have the people been saying to you in the, the last two weeks? Have they been saying, where's our episode? <laughs> um, I'm sure they have. Um, but they've probably been swearing, so I, I ignore that. Um, uh-huh. So we, we had um, Beth 
she's started listening to our podcast and wanted to give us kudos for such a freaking excellent and needed resource. Um, big thank you to um, both of us for making it. Um, so thank you very much, Beth. Um, we had Kate Galash, a, a sports dietitian um, in Adelaide, and she is uh, just wanted to send me send us a little TikTok uh, video about how the Adelaide people talk. Yes, that was exactly <laughs> what I described. I don't know six months ago on this podcast when I talked about the Adelaide accent. Yes, I get paid out about it all the time. Yep. Um, and then Shane um, enjoys listening to the podcast and said he flipped the coin on who to seek um, for nutrition support between us. Um, and then uh, we've got Michael Libazon, um, who runs a um, endurance innovation podcast, um, who I've been a guest on. Um, and he's been enjoying listening to our podcast and particularly was interested in the um, continuous glucose monitor episode that we had um, and he was actually looking for someone on his podcast so I um, suggested Dana um, Lease for that one so sorry Dana if you're um, you know already very busy <laughs> giving you another extra little project yep yep awesome all right well thank you for everyone for getting us uh, getting in contact with us and providing feedback and just a reminder if you do want to provide us any feedback or you've got a particular question that you'd like answered on the podcast you can get in touch with us on social media at the long munch on facebook twitter or instagram today's episode is 37b how should my nutrition change when it's really cold uh, and we're joined by a professional cyclist Sarah Giganti. Giganti, thank yep. you. And um, I'm going to let you do the intro. Yeah, yeah. So uh, most people in, in Australia that are into cycling will, will know the name Sarah Giganti. Uh, she's been a, a very rapid rising star, I guess, in, in Australian women's cycling um, as a junior and then sort of moving into the elite ranks at a very young age. She's still only 21. Uh, and having some great success. She was the 2019 national champion in the elite women's road race, while still obviously an under 23. Uh, then in 2020 and 2021, she won the national individual time trial championships um, herself at the elite level, and then also took out the Santos Festival of Cycling in 2021. So that was the event that was put in in place of the Tour Down Under, given that the international teams couldn't make it here because of all the border closures and, and whatnot over in Adelaide. Um, so Sarah's uh, been a, a pro sort of moving across to Europe and riding for those sort of um, those high level teams um, since 2020. So she started with Team Tipco Silicon Valley Bank in 2020 and 2021. Now, obviously, those seasons were interrupted for a variety of reasons. And we'll have a, a quick chat to Sarah in this interview about that. Obviously, 2020 with COVID and the sort of the lockdowns and the cancellation of a lot of races, um, through that early and middle part of the season, sort of interrupted her first season as a pro over in Europe. And then in 2021, she was just sort of getting back into it and racing some of the Belgian spring classics when she um, came off her bike at Flesh Wallone, one of the, the big spring classics, and fractured her collarbone, her fibula, and mm -hmm. her elbow. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, took quite some recovery. Um, pretty much missed all of her racing right up until the Tokyo Olympics, which she'd already been selected for and um, did go to Tokyo 
and competed in both the individual time trial and the road race there, finishing 11th in the individual time trial, um, having just come back from all of those uh, bone fractures. Mm. Then this year, she signed with a new team, Team Movistar, which is one of the, the bigger teams in the peloton. And um, you know, after a bit of a health scare, which we'll, we'll briefly touch on um, in the second half of 2021, pretty much straight after the Olympics, she developed uh, myopericarditis uh, and missed, uh, I think, almost six months of riding there as well. Um, she came back and won her first European race uh, just a few weeks ago in Spain, actually, a one-day race over there. So um, that was a, a really great moment for her, um, you know, have, having had so much success here in Australia, going over to Europe and having all sorts of interruptions and crashes and health scares and things to finally get that first win on the board was obviously a, a major achievement. Mm. Um, as we mentioned um, on Instagram the other week, th this episode is delayed by a week because Sarah's been a little bit unwell this last couple of weeks. Um, we won't go into details about that. I'm sure she'll inform people herself when when the time comes. Um, but yeah, it was great to catch up with her and get her impressions of what it's like moving from Australia where it can be quote unquote cold in the winter to Europe where it's actually really cold. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, awesome. Looking forward to um, hearing, yeah, about her experience with it all. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this episode with Sarah Gigante. All right, Sarah Gigante, welcome to The Long Munch. How are things going over there in Spain? Yeah, good, thanks. The weather's just um, warming up. Second day of summer here. I know it's yep. pretty cold in Melbourne, though. I've been uh, getting sent some photos of snow in, well, V2F isn't Melbourne, but if it's snowing yep. in V2F, then I can't imagine it's all too warm in Melbourne. No, it's been freezing here the last few days, which is on topic for our episode, but maybe not for you. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess, I guess you've got memories of a few months ago that, that we can draw on for sure. Um, now, you've obviously had you know, a roller coaster couple of years. You, know, you had some great success, particularly here in Australia in 2020 or even back to 2019, 2020, 2021 um, with you know, the Santos Festival of Cycle. Cycling, sorry, the, the road nationals with the individual time trial, which you won twice in a row, and then the road race as well, uh, and then made the the Olympic team for Tokyo. Uh, obviously, you know, you headed off to, to Europe in 2020, I think. Was, was that your first year over there? Our first year on a professional team, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, obviously with, with COVID kicking off then and races being cancelled left, right and centre, and then you had a, a crash as well in, in Flesh alone last year. Uh, you sort of missed out on, on quite a bit of racing while you've been over there uh, and then had a bit of a health scare last year as well. But you managed to to win a race over in, in Spain um, a couple of weeks ago. So was that sort of a, a sense of achievement, pride, relief, a bit of everything? How did you kind of yeah. reflect on that? It was crazy. I didn't realise just how like emotional the win was until I'd won and then like it was just like the last especially the last year, but in the last two years just like came like pouring out of me. Like I've never burst into happy tears before, but I did after that race. And it was, I think it was a bit of everything. It was firstly, I was like shocked because I wasn't expecting to win at all, but I've been shocked before and I've never had a reaction like that. So I think it was just yeah, like the feeling of, oh, thank goodness I can put like the last year behind me, like I'm back. And me again, you know, like when I yeah. was on the couch for six months, it's hard, but 
that you kind of lose your identity because I identify so mm. much as a cyclist. Like, I, obviously, I try to have other interests and I, I do uni and have lots of friends and everything, but still I, I do think of myself a bit too much of, like, Sarah the cyclist because I say too much because then when you take away the cycling for six months, then it's like, oh, you know, and you, yeah. you can't do what you love. So, yeah, it just felt really, really nice because <laughs> – I just felt like, oh, that's over, like, I'm back. That, that was yeah, the best yeah. feeling. Absolutely. And were you still over in Europe during that time as well? Um, for most of it, yeah. I was yeah. here. I got sick at the start of August and I was here until, I think, the end of October and then I did hotel quarantine. And yeah. I came back here for a camp in January with my new team, Movista, um, just for – a couple of weeks and then I returned again for real to live in Daruna in March. Yeah. Okay, cool. So obviously one of the things, as you said, like when you, you're doing riding, 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 and then suddenly that kind of stops. And particularly when you're living on the other side of the world to, you know, where your family is and everything, like obviously that's, that can be a really big challenge. And you see that all the time with not only cyclists, but athletes in other sports uh, coming from places like Australia, New Zealand um, and other parts of the world as well, you know, making that transition over to Europe. And it could be a real challenge. And, um, you know, there's, you know, there's plenty of examples of people that have sort of come over, done it for a year, got homesick or just it's kind of chewed them up and spat them out, so to speak. How have you found that kind of transition in the last couple of years moving across there? And, you know, obviously different country, different language, different culture, moving out of home, you know, there's a lot going on. How's that kind of been for you? Yeah, it was a big change. I think last year was the, because in 2020 I came home so suddenly, um, everyone did because of COVID. I wasn't yeah. away for so long, not long yeah. at all. Um, so last year was the first time I was away for, yeah, March till end of October. And I mean, I was lucky in a way because I got so sick. My brother came from America because my mum was stuck uh -huh. in Australia with COVID. Um, yeah. So, and then my mum did get an exemption to come over. So in the end, I got to see my family, but not for the best reasons. Um, mm. But for most of the year, yeah, it was, um, I was on my own here, like on my own family-wise. There are lots of Australians here and Mm. even Americans um, living in Daruna and I mean, some other nationalities too, but I'd say mainly when it comes to the cyclists, I know lots of Australians and Americans. And I, I think that's really nice because it's a good community. But uh, last year I was living for most of it. When I was here in Daruna, I was living a bit further out of town. So um, by the time you've like got all your training done and then you train, I'm trying to study as well. So training yeah. done, uni done, even like the shopping done, physio done for the broken bones. Um, <laughs> and then I, I didn't really feel like walking into town um, much more than I had to because it took quite a while. So I, and I lived alone. So it was a little bit lonely at the start, um, even though there are lots of cyclists here. Um, I also, I wasn't going to races because I was injured. So I think that was part yeah. of the problem. Yeah. I was just kind of in my own little bubble, but like self, self-enforced self bubble, but still I'm much happier. Um, now I moved 
into town and I have two housemates. So it's really, really good because, um, you yeah, like, well, being in town means I see people all the time and also it's just like way easier to ask people to go to coffee or go to coffee when someone asks. Um, yeah. Not that I drink coffee, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, even just having housemates is awesome because they're two of my greatest friends and not even just like being able to easily go for rides. That's one bonus, but yeah, just like automatically waking up, having someone to say good morning to, you know, asking yeah. how their day is. Yeah, everything like that. It's really nice. Yep, yep. And and I believe your housemates ride for different teams. How is that sort of vibe when you, you're living with other people but they ride for, for different trade teams? Uh, yeah, so I, I moved in with Kristen Faulkner last year and we were teammates at the time. Um mm. And then this year, Ruby, Rosamund, Gannon moved in, but Kristen changed teams and I changed teams too. So I've got two back exchange roommates. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, in that race, I did win. I watched the replay and Kristen was chasing me quite well at the end. And I did <laughs> say to her after, I'm like, Kristen, what happened to the roommate rule? <laughs> but no, we're, we're fierce rivals on the road. Although the thing is, the peloton's so strong here that we don't really have to worry about each other as much as like the rest of the peloton. Like in Australia, yeah. Ruby and I are much fiercer rivals than here. Like, she doesn't have to worry about me. She has to worry about like Marianne Voss and like yeah, you know that like there's a, there are, um yeah more fish, <laughs> so yeah yeah yeah. I think we're, we're rivals if we if of course if I have to chase down Ruby then I chase down Ruby. But like on the other hand, like she was racing at Touregan last week and I was cheering so hard for her. Um, my team yeah. wasn't there, but if my team's there, then like you can cheer for lots of people, right? I cheer for all yeah. the Aussies, all my mum and yeah. dad teammates, all my ex teammates, all my friends that I might know somehow. Everyone, I just cheer yeah. hard, unless I'm in the race, and then I, yeah, <laughs> then yeah. I'm fixed. Yes, and, and I guess like in a way, like there'd be times where I imagine you're all on different race programs, so you sort of come home to an empty house because they're away at a race and you've just finished one or something. Yeah, definitely. I think. Um, Kristen's leaving for the women's tour in Britain. Well, they, that sounds weird, but they, they call it the Tour of Britain. <laughs> I yeah. never say the word Britain. I don't know why. But she's leaving soon for that, and Ruby's at Andorra, in Andorra for a while, and then Ruby will go to Swiss. I'll be alone for a little bit, and then I'll probably go to a race. And then, mm. yeah, so we're, we're in and out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay, and while obviously racing's been interrupted for you for lots of different reasons, um, both you know personal, but then more the COVID interruption as well. You have had a bit of a taste for some of the like the big races, things like in Wellingham and Tour of Flanders. How did you find that experience doing those kind of really big traditional sort of classic events? Yeah, I mean, I have to say when I came to Europe in two thousand twenty, I didn't really. Um, understand like know the history of the sport so much um, enough to I'd say almost appreciate the races I was doing um, as much but last year like having been around the pro scene for a bit longer um, rather than like in Australia I was always just thinking about my next race like oh cool like to a tweet you know like 
that's a big race. Mm. <laughs> so I never really like, um, yeah, appreciated how long these European races have been going for, or, like how much support they had, um, especially because it was a COVID year. Um, I did, yeah, Flanders in 2021. Then I, I, by that stage, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> apparently this is a very important race. And, yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty epic, although there were still not many fans. I'd like to do it again one day, um, not in a pandemic, because yeah. I think that would be such a cool experience. Like I heard yeah. all the, the riders who did Worlds last year in Belgium, um, the fans were encouraged to come back. And they said it was absolutely surreal. And, yep. yeah, all my teammates, um, well, at Tokyo as well, actually, like Spratty, she said, oh, it's such a shame. Like, this is your first taste of the Olympics without a crowd. And I'm like, no, it's not a shame. Like, it's, well, like, it's the Olympics. I'm going to be so stoked to be here no matter what. But certainly, yeah. if you do ever get to go back, then it's better to go, like, up. Same with yeah. Flanders. Like, start without a crowd. <laughs> And then you go back and you're like, wow, it's even better because I thought it was already great. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what did you make of the, the cobbled climbs over there in Belgium? Yeah, I mean, I like the climb part, but that's only a very small part. Like the climbs are so short that it feels more, for me especially, I struggle much more with like the race to get to the bottom of the climb first than the actual yeah. climb is good. So, yeah, yeah I have to work on <laughs> my my skill and my strength in yeah getting to the bottom first because you can be the best climber but when the climbs like not that I'm the best but you could be the best um but if the climbs only like a minute long or even a couple mm. minutes and there are like 150 people between you and the front of the race yeah and and like quite a few crashes and like drop chains and you're not going to get to the front of the race yeah yeah no fair enough Okay, um, and today obviously we're talking about nutrition on the bike, but particularly when the weather is really cold. How did you find that experience when you first moved to Europe? Like obviously, like it can be cold here in Melbourne and you can ride during winter and things like that, but I imagine it's next level compared to that when you're over in Europe. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been as cold as in 2020 in those first European races before COVID hit Europe. That was so 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 much of a shock to the system um yeah yeah I did not enjoy that just the cold <laughs> I mean I didn't like it one bit and I still don't like it but I I'm a bit more prepared now like I I still much rather the heat like give me a race in 40 degrees any day over those yep. Belgian classics um yeah yep. especially Fair there's enough. always wind too so just just to top it off, <laughs> but the wind's a bit different because it actually really affects the racing. But the cold, I feel like as long as you're um, prepared with how to deal with it, then it's it doesn't change the racing so much. Yeah, 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 fair enough. And and you obviously had your, um, you're saying that the team camp was in January. Was that like, like that's the middle of winter in Europe as well? Although presumably you went somewhere a bit warmer for the camp. Yeah, we went to um, southern Spain, which was really nice. Uh, I say really nice. The other girls said it was nice and warm. I thought it was really nice in that it was so amazing to be training again for the first time. That was the first week I had, like, no heart rate restriction. 
Um, yep. So that was really nice. And it was really nice to meet all my teammates and just be part of the team and get all my new stuff. So I agreed that was really nice. But I thought the weather was really cold. Like I was coming from summer and I was like, man, I've got to wear like long necks and like two jackets. And the other girls are like, great. We don't have to wear like 10 pairs of necks and 50 pairs of jackets. Yeah. Yeah, it's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I guess um, we're we're talking about our, our question is nutrition and eating when it's really cold. Um, so starting off with what happens when you're not on the bike, um, so looking at your eating day to day um, because that still impacts on your, your ability to train, recover and achieve whatever body composition goals you might have as an athlete. Have you found your food choices day-to-day have changed a lot living in the cold climates um, of Europe? Uh, Not too much, although maybe like small adjustments of the same kinds of foods. For example, I love porridge and Mm -hmm. normally I have it hot, but I guess like sometimes in the, yeah, in the hot versus cold, um, yep. Yeah, maybe you tend to have more hot porridges in the winter than um, porridge. What's it called when you put it in the fridge the like, night before? Um, bircher. Yeah, bircher. yeah, I guess yeah. Like bircher. Yeah. Yeah. So, like that kind of thing, I, I still have oats <laughs> because I yeah. really like oats in the morning. Um, but maybe I'd changed the way I had it. So, like, or well, more, I, I really like eggs after a ride with other stuff but like maybe I'd have um them in like more of a hotter meal after a cold ride sometimes you get back and you're like I I really want three things I want to have a really hot shower have some really hot food and then go to sleep with like 10 dunas on (laughs) (laughs) um and are there sort of favourite foods or meals that you get excited about he- heading into those colder climates of the year? So you mentioned, you know, you love your, your oats, so, you know, it's sort of porridge. Um, any any other kind of meals maybe for lunch or dinner that you kind of get excited about? Uh, I, I don't know if I change how I eat that much um, in the cold, but just any kind of... I really like soups and stew kind of things. Um, Mainly, I don't buy much red meat myself. I mean, I'll eat it if I'm at a race and, like, it's what we're given. But, yeah, mainly um, lots of, like, I like lentils and kidney beans. Um, I just, I'm not too fussy. I just kind of chuck everything in a pot and some pasta. I like pasta in it. Um, Yep and tomato tomato yep. chin tomatoes and then just whatever I have in the fridge add, add some protein mm. yeah. so in summer do you find that you might have more like um uh, co- uh colder meals like salads or 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 it doesn't really change like you'd still kind of have the warmer meals yeah it may be a little bit but no I sometimes I still have mm. warmer meals yeah, yeah. I, I'm not really yeah. that much of a, a salad maker like again I change how yep. I eat when I go to a race because you it's you know you make yeah the most of what you get but I feel like salads are something that I 
eat a lot of if someone else makes it and yeah. for me I just <laughs> tend to just buy like bags of frozen vegetables yep. a few fresh veggie yeah but yeah not so much um lettuce and everything yeah similar to me as well I like other people to get creative with the salads uh, and I'm I can be a bit lazy and tend to go a bit more I find stir fries or veggie concoctions yes. a bit easier um yeah so that's what I always do like just, yeah. because like yeah especially the bags of frozen vegetables like you can get so much variety and then exactly. yeah sometimes add some fresh vegetables as well but to make a salad you need like so many different well yeah salad I'm not much of a cook but like when I think of making a salad I'd be like oh then I'm gonna make buy a bit of this a bit of that a bit of this a bit of that yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like it seems to go off a bit fast quickly yeah I, yeah 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 um <laughs> And, and so thinking now about you kind of your on-the-bike nutrition, were there things that took you by surprise when you started riding in the colder European conditions compared to even what you're used to riding in our Australian winter? So um, I guess that's sort of thinking about things like, um, you know, op- op- opening packaging or accessing your pockets, Um or like the the foods or the choices going really hard because of the cold climate. Have you noticed anything like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, in those early Belgian classics, yep. um, we were given these amazing gloves like, like a couple of years ago, super super warm gloves, yep. and I was like, great, my hands like we just went for a short ride the day before the race, and yep. it was like so short that. We didn't really need to eat much. I think we just had some energy drink or something. Yeah. But I didn't actually. It was silly of me, but I didn't actually practice like getting something out of my pockets. But I just remember thinking, "Oh, great! My hands are so warm." Like because in Australian winters, they're not that cold. Yeah. Sorry to everyone in Australian winter being <laughs> cold right now, but like they're not super cold. Um, but I still. It felt really cold lots of times. Like when I went on like uh, the 6 a.m. bungee to King Lake that I mm. love doing, I have mm. to leave like 5.20 mm. and that definitely feels cold. cold. Um, but I never had like mm. super thick warm gloves mm. um, that I'd wear. Like So I think occasionally I'd go for like the long, short, long gloves but like skinny mm. and my hands would still like freeze. But in these gloves it was like, nearly snowing and my hands were they didn't feel so cold at all like Mm. definitely not like Mm. um frozen so Mm. I was like oh great I'll be able to use them fine in the race Mm. and then I get into the race and I made quite quite a few mistakes so yeah I could feel my fingers but um I couldn't feel what I was doing with them because it was like I had thick um yeah, no, it was crazy. Mm. Like, I think each finger must have had, like, oh, this is a podcast, not a video. But <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, just imagine, like, this massive, like, pillow yeah. uh, covering each finger, um, which was very nice to keep your fingers warm. But, yeah, I had no idea where my hand was <laughs> um, and how to open things. So I didn't certainly didn't manage to get much out of my pocket that day but also um the other problem the main problem was that uh the cold races 
especially when it's raining. And then I associate these with Belgium. And then in Belgium, it's often windy. So, like, it's yeah. just so chaotic. Yeah. You need to be, like, alert and ready um, at all times. And also, I was – these races the last couple of years. I didn't do them this year, mm. really. But the last couple of years, I was, like, <laughs> struggling. So, I'm going, like, full gas, um, trying not to get, like, blown off my back and trying – to like be kind of alert <laughs> in the peloton you know yeah. because it's pretty chaotic and then uh, and also trying to race as well <laughs> minor mm-hmm. details like being like oh yeah like this canary bird is in like two kilometers um and then yeah going just everything's going on at once yeah and then yeah, to try and like add into that like getting a bar out so in Australia I much preferred having solid food at least in like the early part of the race mm-hmm. before s- switching over to gels and mm-hmm. I didn't really have much energy drink I just kind of went like solid food early and then gels later mm-hmm. um but yeah even if I was just doing gels in Europe it's still pretty hard so I think like I do lots of gels right now but I'm I mean, these last races I've been doing have all been in Spain and it's a lot more chill, like the the stage races or even like the one days, like in those cold, wet, windy Belgian classics, then I much prefer um, just having as much in my drinks as possible because then it forces you to drink as well. That's something... A lot of people struggle with like feeling thirsty mm. in the cold is pretty like unlikely. Like you're so busy doing everything else yep. and it's not hot. So what's yep. going to make you think, oh, I need to drink apart from yep. being like, oh, I need to drink. Like maybe here on the radio, your DS is telling you to drink. But yep. yeah, if, if I have like the motivation of thinking, okay, if I don't drink, then I'm going to not have enough carbs mm. this hour. Like that's double, you know, and then I'm like, well, if I don't drink, I won't have enough um, liquid either. But mm. it's good because I don't need to try and like drink and get stuff out of my pockets and eat and mm. try and do everything else because, mm. yeah, just doing everything, yeah. even without any nutrition, that's hard enough. So yeah. I try and keep it as simple as possible when it comes to those um, really chaotic, wet, cold windy races mm. yeah um and yeah then it don't have to think of drinking and eating at the same time mm. just drinking have you had any of those scenarios where in like either training or a race mm. uh, it could just be training on a cold day you, you pulled out some sort of solid food item and gone mm. to eat it and you're like oh actually that doesn't work in this weather it's just <laughs> like rock solid or you can't open the packaging with the gloves that you're wearing or anything like that well, in Spain, like, they don't really have um, muesli bars in the supermarkets like we do in Australia. Mm. Like, they, they have some, but it seems like it's very, must be, like, a, more of a foreign product because there's only a couple brands and they're really expensive. So, mm. like, you can either order, like, cycling-specific bars, so, like, 226 for us. I can get them. Sometimes I do, and I yeah, I have some gels here. But um, if I just like don't have any in the cupboard, and I need to go have some food for my training ride, then 
Well, I asked Ruby what she does because she's also from Australia and she's also like, where are the, all the muesli bars, the cheap ones? Yeah. Um, so she tends to go for lots of lollies. And like I was thinking about the lollies, but I, that's a lot of like, like sure. I don't know, I feel like um, five hours on lollies, I, I wanted something else. So I discovered these awesome galettas last year and I'm back on the galetta train. So like... Now that maybe in Australia you wouldn't find them. It's like the muesli bars, but in reverse. You wouldn't find them to the same extent. But mm-hmm. in Spain, there's like yeah, these supermarkets. Every supermarket has like a whole aisle just for glitters. What so are the glitters? They're kind of like tea biscuits, I'd say. Like mm-hmm. I buy um, – it's, it's so many. I think that my packet is at least like 160 glitters yeah. for one euro. And yeah. you can just think of like, oh, yeah, just a, a small tea, tea biscuit, biscuit, a circular yeah, okay. tea biscuit. Yeah, cool. So, so yeah. quite plain, but yeah. still like sweet. Yeah. Um, and I just like put them in my pockets yeah. in little uh, reusable bags. Yep. And I mean, I have to really, really load up. Like. It's hard on a five-hour ride. I remember once I filled up my pockets and then I'm like, oh, I still need more to get enough cars per hour. So then I started putting them down the front of my jersey. And then after that, I'm like, I'm going to have to, for five-hour rides, I, I think I need like, maybe I'll have to add some lollies or something to or like have a stop halfway to buy more. But um, for like four hours and under, then I can fit enough in my pockets to get the right gas per hour so that's good but in the winter yeah yeah, like I was I wasn't here in the winter but I was in March and I was like getting my galettas as usual and then it started raining halfway through and I was like oh like yes they're in bags but it was raining hard and I'm like oh my gosh they're gonna turn to mush and then I'll have nothing so I I stopped and took shelter and, like, pretty much just ate all my galettas. <laughs> so I was like, well, hopefully, I don't know how my body's going to take this, but I'd, I'd rather, like, eat my four hours um, worth of food in two than, like, eat half of it and then not really be able to eat the other half because yep. it was raining hard. And those biscuits, as soon as you get liquid on them, then they they're destroyed. <laughs> well, it's just dunking it in that tea, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The tea of like sweat and yeah. rain. Yeah. <laughs> How do you find um, the gels go in the cold? Like apart from obviously difficulty, you know, tearing and whatever, um, do they hold up okay in the cold? Like they don't freeze, you know, too much? Like you can, you can get, them, get them down? Yeah, no. I've had really good experience with, yeah. yeah, we're sponsored by 226 this year and yeah. I haven't noticed any, um, any freezing, yeah. although I haven't noticed it with other brands either in the past. Yeah, so yep, I, that's good. I'm pretty lucky with that. Maybe because they're against my back and I'm always, like, yeah. dying in the race that yeah. <laughs> I'm eating them up enough. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, I don't yeah. know. Yep, yep. I think that's, like, one strategy we talked about with um, Beck Hall, who was a sports dietitian. We spoke to her about, you know, how do you manage getting in your nutrition in in winter? Um, and then mm. we we're talking about that being, you know, you have whatever you're wanting on you, you know, to keep you to to keep it warm. Um, so like, yeah, right. yeah, the gels or the lollies and in in your jersey um, to keep warm. Um, hopefully, will hold up. But 
Because um, mm. yeah. I imagine even like snakes and like the snake lollies, like yeah. they would be really tough if they got yeah. cold as well. They're really cold. I imagine they would, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you're still playing around a bit with um, some of the solid parts of it anyway. But the bars are okay? Are they... Yeah. Yeah, the, the yeah. bars, yeah. I, I really like the taste of the bars. I yeah. just need yeah. to order more of them. <laughs> That's it's all. just accessing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, access. yeah. So they hold up okay in the cold. They're not too chewy or get too hard in the cold? No, no. Good consistency no. and um, yeah. easy to eat Like as, as long as you don't have trouble opening it, like if you're not wearing yeah. really pluey gloves. Thick gloves, um, yeah. Yeah, then they're pretty easy to open and yeah. then. And they're easy to eat, so that's really good. And they're not too big as well. Like sometimes, like big bars are nice if you like the taste. But like in a race, you'd rather just get it down. Yeah, you can kind of thinking of everything as just like fuel, you know? Like, oh, yeah. okay, one part of my ninety grams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, what tips or tricks did you learn from your more experienced teammates that are used to riding in these conditions? Did you pick up any tricks from, from them? I think um, copying them and changing to always using the energy drinks in races. So, yeah, like I said, in Australia, I guess I didn't really see the need and I was a bit worried about maybe like how my stomach would take it or like, I, I don't know, I didn't, didn't really train with the energy drinks. So then in the races, then I preferred to stick to what I've been training with. Yep. So it was always the bars and the gels. Um, but here, I don't know anyone that doesn't use energy drinks in races. Energy drinks is in that carb mix. And, yeah, yeah I love the one this year because, like, the, the drink we use has 82 grams per bottle. Nice and the, carbs, the, yep. the biddens aren't big. It's like five, 500 mil, I think, mm. is the little cycling bidden. So, mm. yeah, it's really easy to drink enough um, or eat enough carbs because you yeah. like one bidden and you're nearly at what you need for an hour. It's really yeah. Good. Yeah, that's good. And do you or the team, um, whether it's in training or races, use hot drinks on the bikes? Oh, no, that is an interesting question. Maybe some other teams do, or maybe some of my teammates that I haven't raced with in the cold races. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they do. I can kind of see myself asking for a hot tea in a race. I do like tea, but no, I haven't tried that. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, I've certainly heard of it before. Um, mm. Like you probably remember, there was a um, for for the men Milan San Remo. And it must have been five years ago or something where it snowed and they had to stop the stage and move it forward 90Ks or something. They all got back on the bus mm. and drove. And I remember there they were using a lot of hot tea with like they just added heaps of sugar to it, I think, from memory. Yeah, yeah right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, and any other sort of specific issues or challenges that listeners should be aware of and plan for in colder environments? Um, I think... For training, especially, um, maybe to go to the bathroom. Well, not that you'll be finding any bathrooms on the side of the road, but yeah, yeah. trying to go to the toilet when you're out training can be hard if you're wearing so many mm. layers. So I really like um, some winter nicks. 
that are, I think they're sometimes called tights, um, yeah. but they don't have the, the bibs, the, the, the bib oh, and braces. Yes. Yeah. There's no brace. Yeah. So yeah. that's really helpful, I find, yeah. just so you don't yeah. have to um, take off all your upper layers and yeah. freeze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And do you find that um, you then might try and drink less because you're kind of scared that you're going to go to the toilet? Does it influence your um, motivation to, to drink? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, it's not, not that I'd start a ride thinking I'll try and drink less so that I don't have to go, but maybe if I'm like, if it's just a training ride, although I shouldn't say just a training ride because all your training ride habits add up and yeah. then it's race day, you know. But yeah. maybe if I'm like near the end of a ride, then I'd mm. prefer to just like not drink much more <laughs> until I get home than have yeah. to like stop when I'm like already freezing. Yeah. yeah. But it sounds like you, um, at least in some of the races and stuff, and um, that you're getting in you know, a reasonable amount of, of fluid um, per, you know, per hour or whatever and um, it doesn't sound like you tend to need a stop for a pee. No, break. I'm pretty good. Yeah. I did the whole Melbourne to Warrnambool and I was fine and that took yeah. me nearly seven hours, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. so you're retaining <laughs> the fluid, which is good. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. Mm. Well, that's good. And I mean, I guess if it's like if you're working hard enough, like, yeah, you know, we talked with Becky about this last week. It's like it could be cold, but if you've got heaps of layers on and you're working really hard, you can be sweating a lot because exactly. you know, your body temperature is still getting up anyway. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you're sweating a lot, then you're not going to be peeing or, or needing to pee. Mm. So, yeah. 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 All right. Well, we might move on to our bonus round to finish off with, Sarah. So this is where we find out a little bit more about you besides riding a bike and freezing a lot on that bike <laughs> um so the first question uh you said before that you're you're doing some university study at the moment do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're studying and have you had any sort of thoughts about what you might want to do with that sort of later on in the future yeah i'm doing linguistics and geography actually oh wow i switched so i'm really enjoying it i'm doing like a double double major in those two they're quite different mm -hmm. but i I figured I may as well follow my passions and I, I really love cycling and that's why I'm a pro cyclist and I also really love geography and linguistics. So that's why I'm studying those. And yep. yeah, like it's super interesting. Right now I'm my subjects are morphology, so we're studying like the the parts of words that make them up and then um geographies of migration. So yeah, how people and groups move around the world. And ideas even. So I find it really interesting. And as for what I'll do after, I, I kind of just, you know, follow my notes as I go. Yeah. And right now I'm just um, thinking of my exams. Um, <laughs> but I think I can see myself doing um, like further studies in linguistics especially. I really, really enjoy linguistics. And one day it's kind of hard recycling, but there are um, linguists that go out to like remote communities where the language might be like dying and then they try and um like work out how the language works and try and write it down because maybe the language is only spoken and then um that makes it really at risk of being lost mm. completely when the older people die so like i feel like that would be really special to like 
mm. try and save a language or at least like write it down so it can be preserved and then taught later on. Mm. And that, that's been happening a bit here in Australia with, with different sort of Aboriginal languages, yeah. Yeah, in the Northern Territory, especially lots of, not lots, but like some linguists go there. So that's why I said it would be a bit hard recycling because mm. going out to the Northern Territory mid, um, mid-season mid sounds a bit difficult, but I'm sure um, that's something I'd really like to do one day. Yeah, cool. Awesome. All right, um, speaking of things that you'd like to do one day, is there anything on your bucket list that you're sort of sitting there going, oh, I'd really love to do that one day, but you haven't yet? Yes. <laughs> well, the hour record, but now it's sad. Sad, but not sad. Um, Alan Van Dyke just did it and she was amazing. Yeah. But, of course, now it's, like, really, really hard to get. But, yeah, I always wanted to do the hour record. Also, Everesting. I, I really want to do an Everesting. And then yep. the last one is an Ironman. <laughs> okay. Cool. We spoke to Ben Hill actually a couple of weeks ago who's just done that transition from cycling. I think he did a 70.3 um, to, to triathlon on like six weeks of training and I think one his age group. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> six yeah, weeks. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously he'd done all that riding prior to that. Um, what's a, I mean, apart from triathlon, what's a sport you've always wanted to try but you've never had the opportunity? Hmm. Well, I was going to say Ironman. I feel like... Rowing, I, I'm always a bit sad in year eight. I remember I, I signed up to do rowing because, like, at my school, it was, like, super, super popular to do rowing and you could only start in year nine. But at the end of year eight, everyone signed up and, like, the whole year pretty much. Like, even, like, girls who didn't care much about sport or, like, girls like me who were, like, too busy already with sport, like, Everyone yep. signed up because it was like, ooh, the thing to do. So I signed up and I went to two land days and then I was like, oh, this is too much because I was like trying to do – I was swimming still and then cycling. So, yeah, I yep. pretty much was doing triathlon. <laughs> no, yep. I wasn't. But, um, yeah, I was doing like the swimming and then cycling and then school and I was like, oh, I don't really have time for a whole other sport. And also I didn't really like the land training that much <laughs> that was yep. really a small reason but I'm like hmm this feels like a beat test like we're running back and forth <laughs> around cones so yep. I am always a bit disappointed that I didn't just wait like a couple more weeks and get in a boat I I, I rode or well, not rode oh yeah I was gonna say rode like rode a bike but no I rode <laughs> the other road on an ergo but I mean it they were just telling me my elbows were in the wrong place and stuff. And I never actually got to get in a boat. So I think um, maybe rowing. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, your favourite moment from the Tokyo Olympics or Paralympics that wasn't your own event? Oh, I had to research this one. I wanted to have a good answer, and I have one. You have to look up Tatiana Schoenmaker's reaction when she realized she broke the world record it's so special so <laughs> she's from south africa a swimmer and mm -hmm. she won her first olympic gold and i think she knew she won i, I watched a little interview as well i did <laughs> had some fun last night so she knew she won because she could feel i guess like in cycling when you feel you win the photo finish so she she felt she won but then she turns around and she's already happy because, yeah, she just won the Olympics. And then she turns around and looks at her time and her face is just absolutely priceless. 
<laughs> to break the world record. Yeah, that that's so cool. I'm sure there are lots of special moments, but when I saw that one, I was like, oh. And I, it's yeah. really sad. I had to actually look at this up. I mean, it's good because I learned something new, but it's sad because I didn't actually get to watch much of the Olympics at all. Normally, like all the past Olympics, I've like sat in front of my TV, like pretty much Olympic marathon watching <laughs> for like the whole time. But when we were in Tokyo, it was really hard to, um, I mean, we could watch some on the TV, but it was, wasn't in English. So it's hard. Because oh, you guys were in Izu, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah, we went in the village. So we had just the hotel TV. And I think that surely they um they, they bias it in Australia. You watch the Australians a lot more. Mm. Like, they, is it Channel 7? They, like, yeah. switch it to whatever Australia's doing well in. But then I think we were watching whatever Japan was doing well in, which was cool. Yep. But, like, I really love watching the Aussies win. So it was yep. a bit harder to watch when, when we were there. And then... um. Yeah, once I was back, I think it was still going, but then I was like sick, more worried about myself. So I I didn't really watch much, and I I didn't watch that much of the Paralympics either because I was still like in and out. And yeah, Mm. so not the not the best. Maybe I'll have to go back (laughs) this year and watch because I love watching. Yeah, both the Olympics and the Paralympics. Yeah, awesome. All right, and then final question: Do you live by any piece of advice or motto? Hmm. Well, not like I don't have a cool quote, but I love um, always remembering to have fun. And I feel like even if you're really worried or like focused, not worried, but if you're focused on like trying to um, do your best or be the best or whatever you want to do, no matter how focused and determined you are, if you have fun, then you're, I feel like you're more likely to succeed anyway. So I like whether you're like focused on like getting a certain outcome or not I prefer just to focus on the journey but even if you are focused on the outcome I feel like um having fun along the way will get you there anyway so that's what I like to do have fun first and then good things seem to happen have fun work hard (laughs) yeah yeah no definitely good advice and we had um Jess Denson used to be Jess Trengove on ages ago Steph I reckon a year or more ago and she said very similar thing um but you know if you get too focused on that outcome then often you can get a bit disillusioned at times I suppose but uh, yeah if you focus on the the journey and enjoying yourself along the way then the outcomes often take care of themselves which is great Mm. awesome well thank you so much Sarah for your time it's great to hear about uh what it's like riding in that really cold environments and some of the things that uh some of the challenges that come your way with that and and some of the things that you can do to to overcome it so thanks for your time and good luck for the rest of the year and heading into the european summer a lot warmer than it is here thanks so much it was great to chat that was great thank you very much sarah for taking time out from your um training and chatting to us and I will leave it to Al to um, be the great summarizer. Mm. Okay so our question again was 
how um, should I manage my nutrition when it's really cold? And we've heard obviously from Becky Hall uh, in our last episode and then this time from Sarah. And I think both of them had some great practical advice. But just to go back to, I guess, a little bit of the theoretical stuff, I guess we think about, you know, do you burn more calories in the cold weather? Well, if you're shivering, yes. But if you're in a cold environment, but you're your body temperature is normal because you're working hard exercising, running, cycling, whatever it is, then no, not necessarily. Um, although you might have different food preferences um, or just the availability of different types of foods seasonally between summer and winter, obviously, as well, and uh, or going to a very cold environment where there's less sort of fresh fruit and veggies and salads and things just because of the, the weather. It's got to be sort of imported from a warmer climate where it's grown. Um, I guess some of the the practical things to think about that both Becky and Sarah mentioned were things like you know the packaging getting packaging open particularly when you're wearing the thick gloves you know Sarah talked about those really beautiful warm gloves that she had when she was racing the Belgian classics last year but as it turned out that uh, she uh, they were fine in training when she didn't have to eat or drink anything on an easy short ride but then on race day she suddenly discovered that it was very hard to get things out of your back pockets um, when you're wearing these really thick gloves, let alone opening the packaging uh, and getting things out without you know, crushing it or or dropping it. So yeah, that's obviously one thing that, that you have to consider is the ease of of use and and the sort of you know clothing and the extra layers that you're wearing and what impact that that's going to have. We also talked about, particularly with Becky, that a lot of those foods can get sort of rock solid in cold environments, and that can be a real issue as well. Um, and so you know her suggestion was to go rather than the sort of the more um i guess processed sports nutrition type products is some of the the more bakery type things that naturally are aerated have air in them like um your, your sort of your baked fruit bars things like the k-time twist that she mentioned or even things like pancakes pikelets banana bread um, muffins these kinds of things um, because of the air in them they're less likely to freeze solid um, or they won't do it at the same temperature it'll have to be much colder before they do freeze so that is a good option to keep something that's still soft and chewy and not going to break your teeth off trying to consume it mm-hmm. sarah also made the interesting point which i hadn't really thought of um, she sort of talked about the fact that here in australia um, she tends to rely on solid foods to get most of her carbohydrate and that she just gets fluid from the, the you know fluids and she doesn't rely on Uh, fluids as a source of carbohydrate here in Australia but in that cold weather because accessing those solid foods is more challenging um, and she doesn't really like having too many gels then she actually puts more sports drink into her bottles now obviously you're probably going to be drinking less um, so it kind of works both ways you can be in situations where you actually have to rely more on solids because you're used to getting a lot of carbs from fluids Uh, but the other way around if you don't normally get carbs from fluids that's a quick way to, you know, put that in there and then be less reliant on opening sort of packaging and and getting solid foods that might be tricky to to eat. Uh, And she gave the example, you know, racing in Belgium in a lot of those classics where it's uh, really windy, tight bunches, uh, everyone sort of um, competing to get to the front of those sort of cobbled climbs and things. So if it's a race that's really sort of hectic and tactical and there's a lot going on, then it's much harder to access solid foods, pull it out, open the packaging, chew and swallow when you're in those situations. You can't afford to take your hands off the bars quite so much. And so uh, for her, it was actually switching to more of using the drinks that she was having as a fuel source and using more that concentrated carbohydrate mix to be able to do that as increasingly we're seeing sports drink products having those higher 
carbohydrate concentrations where you can get, you know, 60, 70, 80 grams of carbs in you know, a single bottle that you might consume in, say, an hour, for example. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because it's almost the opposite of what you would typically expect, but that's obviously worked out well mm -hmm. for her. Um, she talked about also the other options overseas where things like the cereal bars and the baked bars and things are less available over in Spain is that she's actually relying on those um, galetta or, or biscuits. I think galetta is the Spanish name for, for biscuits or cookies um, and using those kind of tea biscuits um, that we would often get here in Australia, but uh, much more accessible over there compared to the cereal bars. Um, but the downside is to get enough carbohydrate out of them, you've got to stash your pockets so you've got this whole like massive stash of biscuits um, in your jersey pockets, you know, bulging out from the side of you while you go on a four-hour training ride. So um, I could imagine uh, that that would look a bit funny. Mm. So I have to take a snap of Sarah out on a training ride one day to see these big pockets full of biscuits <laughs> riding around the streets outside of Girona. Um, but also the fact that when it rains, something like that is going to quickly turn to mush and be Oof. a bit of a mess. So it works when it's dry, but not so much in the wet. Uh, just a couple of other things, I guess, to finish up with, you know, Becky mentioned that if you are reliant more on foods that do go quite solid or the packaging is harder to open when it's colder, um, you know, keeping them as close to your body as possible, using your body temperature to stop those products getting as cold or, or even freezing if, if, it's, if it's cold enough to do that is an important one. Um, sort of pre-opening packaging where you can do that without spilling or losing the product um, can be helpful uh, or you know, repackaging it in something like um, foil that'll, you know, tear open more easily. If you can get the foil with the baking paper lining on the inside, well, that usually um, works a little bit better. But if you can't, normal tin foil can be okay as well as it's not, as long as it's not too sticky that the foil will, will stick to it and you end up eating foil. Um, Sarah mentioned that she hasn't used warm fluids herself in a race situation. I've heard examples of it happening, but um, it's not necessarily that common. And as Becky said, you know, as your body temperature heats up, you might want the warm fluids at the start, but then your body temperature heats up as the intensity increases during your exercise, and then you actually want the cold fluids anyway. So don't be too reliant on one or the other necessarily, because you may actually want to change between the two. But I guess overall, you don't have, you know, like everything we talk about in these podcasts, you know, having a plan, being pre-prepared for these sort of situations, and having a strategy that you can pull out, and it might take a few turns to get it right. Um, but hopefully you'll find something that, that works for you and um, hopefully these tips have been helpful. Yeah, yep. And I think, yeah, just again will vary depending on also the sports that people are doing. Um, mm. You know, a bit trickier in that cycling and racing, whereas when you're in an ultra-endurance like with the running, um, particularly when it gets bloody freezing overnight and you've got the better or easier access to checkpoints, um, mm. then having the hot fluids is... Um, pretty common and like you yeah. know then again if you're more a trail gourmet bit of runner you get pizza and all those <laughs> lovely treats <laughs> yes exactly right <laughs> yeah but very very useful um info and um we learned a few different um yeah nutrition products over in there which we had to google and look up and um yeah thank you very much to sarah for sharing her time and hopefully she's up to a speedy recovery Mm, absolutely uh yeah so now next episode hour we're up to 38a and the question is how can fruit and veggies make me faster um we're joined by andrea brackhouse brackus 
Brackus, thank you. Yep. Um, and um, she's all the way from New Zealand. Well, really from Melbourne, as we discovered. Yes. But lives in New Zealand now and uh, works there. at the University of Auckland. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So she's been doing some research in this area. Uh, we thought this is a really interesting one. There's a whole bunch of different things out there about um, not not just you know the benefits of fruit and vegetables generally, like we know that from dietary guidelines, mm -hmm. but you know what does that actually mean for athletes from a performance point of view? So I think that's interesting in itself. Mm -hmm. But then you think about the stuff that we associate with fruit and veggies, and often mm -hmm. the buzzwords, you know, antioxidants, polyphenols, mm -hmm. flavonoids, yeah. uh, nitrates, you know, all these yeah. these sort of um, terms that have that have become commonly um, spoken about, kind of thrown around, but no one really knows what they mean or, or what they do. Um, do you get the get them naturally from food? Do you eat superfoods to get these things? Do you take mm -hmm. supplements to get these things? Mm -hmm. um, you know, do you take your dehydrated, like your greens powders and mm. all those sorts of things, or your concentrated, you know, shots of different fruit or vegetable juices yeah. and that kind of thing? Spirulina. So it's it's a bit of a yeah, it's a bit of a yep. minefield potentially. Um, and one that I think, you know, going in, both of us were very interested in because it's not an area of expertise for either of us. Mm. So we're really keen to to learn from Andrea about this one. So it was it was really yeah. good chatting to her. Yeah, it was very like she's um, super interesting. I, I really enjoyed this one, and um, yeah, think our listeners will too. So mm. uh, that one is next week. Um, yep. Until then, though, if anyone's got any questions uh, that they'd like answered, um, please shoot them to us at the Long Munch on all your popular social media um, platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can listen to us uh, on, the, on the podcast platforms and um, also we would love you to subscribe if you, if you find the podcast useful and um, let your peers know. And please ask us um, more questions as well. Um, yeah, we're, we, we've got a, a fair few underway now, um, but we always love to find some new ones. Yep. And just a reminder that, uh, and we were talking about this the other day, Steph, actually, we've come up to the, the one and a half year mark of the podcast just mm -hmm. the other week. So, um, yeah, we've got obviously what's that 37 episodes yeah. under the belt now all yeah. of them with a part a and b with a couple yeah. of exceptions but even yeah. a couple with a part c and d as well so yeah. uh, if you do have a particular question you may also find that it has already been answered on a podcast um, so you can always go back through that back, back catalog it's not always easy to see them on your podcast app you see the first 10 or whatever it is but if you mm -hmm. click the load more part you'll find that there's a lot more down there that you may not even be aware exist down there and and find some useful information yeah. Awesome. Well, we're, we'll let everyone be and we'll see you next week. Yep. See you later, everyone. <laughs>